Amen, amen. I love the Lord's Day, don't you? I love the Lord's Day where we make a priority out of worshiping together above anything else, above any other worldly activity, above family, above friends, above hobbies and vacations, above sleep, above everything. The Lord's Day is the day where we say this is when we're going to worship and this is when we're going to sing and this is when we're going to hear the Word of God preached. I'm really excited about uh, the upcoming messages in Romans. I hope that you have enjoyed going through Romans in your life groups and going through and talking over some of the texts that we have been looking at and sharing together. Today we're going to be in Romans chapter 2. I'm going to continue in this series entitled Lost. Uh, now, you may remember I gave you a definition of what I mean by the term lost several weeks ago whenever we started this message, whenever we started this series of messages. Lost, when I, when I use that term, I'm speaking about a spiritual condition of people who have not yet found a relationship with Jesus and are helplessly and hopelessly separated from God. It's likely that you've never heard a full-length series on this topic and on this condition, but I think it's pretty important because many of us, I, well, I would say, I'd say many of us, all of us at one point in our life were in this condition of lostness. All of us at some point in our life came to a point where we said, I no longer want to be separated from God. And we called upon Jesus and we were saved. Those of you who were saved in adulthood or maybe a little bit older, you probably remember what that condition of lostness was like. If you lived a period of years as an adult without Jesus, then you probably know and feel what it's like to live in this world without a relationship with Christ. But there's a lot of indicators of lostness, many of those we've already explored in Romans chapter 1. Uh, we finished up Romans chapter 1 last week. Uh, really three broad categories that we see in Romans chapter 1 that show us and demonstrate to us uh, a condition of lostness upon the world. One is related to the fact that we reject God, even though he's clearly seen in nature. We call that general revelation. Uh, another one that uh, the writer of Romans calls out is idolatry, which is basically just self-worship. And then another one that we looked at last week uh, was sexual immorality, and specifically we looked at what the Bible said about same-sex relationships. And I almost feel like that as the Apostle Paul began to write Romans chapter 1, and he began to outline some things that were indicators of lostness, I almost feel like I almost feel like he scratched his head and said, you know what, I'm going to spend the whole book going through things, so let me just give a summary. And so he gives this summary at the end of Romans chapter 1, and I don't have this, I don't have this for the screen for you, but he basically just, uh, he talks about all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness, gossip, slanders. I mean, all of these different things that he names as indicators of lostness. But there's one today in chapter 2 that he spends a lot of time on that is an indicator of lostness. And I would even say that this particular sin that we're going to talk about is one that has, has really kind of infiltrated Christianity. It's, it's a sin that we see in lost people. It's a sin that we see in those of us who even love Jesus and we're going to talk today about the sin of hypocrisy. 
hypocrisy. Romans chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, talks about God's righteous judgment. And that's the title of my sermon today, is God's righteous judgment. And we're going to see today that usually whenever judgment is seen in us, that it's more of an hypocritical judgment and not the judgment of God. But let's see what God's Word has to say about it today. Romans chapter 2, we're going to start reading in verse 1. And I want to invite you to stand with me as we give full attention uh, to what God's Word says today. Romans chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 11. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give life. For, for, for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for God shows no partiality." Father, today we stand upon the authority of your word. We know that everything that you have given us in this book is true. We believe that it is all divinely inspired. We believe that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, through the simple, basic, interpretive, plain reading of these texts, we believe that we find truth. And we pray, God, that you would speak to us today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. About 10 years ago, there was a book that came out entitled Unchristian. And if you want to go read that book, you can. It's a fairly good book. Uh, And basically, in this book, the writer says, uh, after they surveyed a lot of people who were not Christians, they surveyed a lot of people who you and I would term as lost, and asked them, what's your perception of Christians? And one of the main perceptions of us, of people who are lost, one of the main perceptions that people have of Christians, people who are not Christians, have of us, is that we are hypocrites. Now, I I take issue with that a little bit because I believe that in the church of God you find some of the most wonderful, beautiful, incredible, godly people on the entire planet. I believe that God's people are marvelous. 
I believe that some of the most righteous people that you can find, I believe that the most godly people that you will find are people that gather on Sundays and worship. But we also know that we struggle with sin just like everyone else. And the sin of hypocrisy is no different. We do know that, and, and, I, I, and the reason I take issue with this particular study that I'm referencing is because it's almost as if it's automatic. If someone is an unbeliever and you're a believer, it's almost automatic. Well, that person must be a hypocrite. And I think that that is unfair. But I do think that it is justified for us to think, okay, is there hypocrisy in me. And I think certainly we can point that out in ourselves at times. So here's a definition of hypocrisy that we're going to look at today. Number one is pretending to be righteous when you're not, like an actor. And we all know what this means. It's the person that they kind of pretend to be a Christian, they pretend to be moral, they pretend to have a spiritual life, but really underneath, they, they, they really don't. And what's worse, they know it. They're just playing a part, they're just playing a role. Just just like an actor that we would see on the movie screen where they're not really that person in real life. They're just playing a role. Another definition of hypocrisy, the one that we're going to really focus on a lot more today because it's really the, the idea in our text, is number two. And this is, this, is, this is more of an action that we take whenever we are condemning of others for their sinful behaviors while practicing the same or similar behaviors. Now, a person that falls into category one kind of knows what they're doing. They know they're just playing a role. But, but whenever there is hypocrisy in our life in category two, oftentimes we can't see it. Jesus said it was like a log that we had in our own eye. It's blinding to us, and also it inhibits our ability to help others. But this is what our text today in Romans is talking about. It's like condemning people, looking down upon people in attitude, in word, and in deed, and in actions. We're looking down upon people for their sinful actions, while at the same time, us practicing those same actions or similar behaviors. The world is absolutely filled with hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is not a characteristic that originates with God's people. Hypocrisy is a characteristic that is representative of a lost world and people who don't know Jesus. And the Bible broadly condemns hypocrisy wherever it is found, whether it be among God's people or whether it be among lost people. Now, in order to understand this a little bit better, in order to understand hypocrisy, we have to deal with another biblical word that's closely related, and that is the idea of judgment. In Romans chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, and also in verse 5, we don't really see the term hypocrisy used very much, but what we do see is we see the term judgment and judge that is used over and over and over in these verses. These, the, th this word and these verses kind of introduce the theme of what the writer of Romans is talking about. Seven times this word is used. So what would be a definition of the term judgment? Here it is. 
a critical opinion formed through close examination and scrutiny that leads to condemnation and sentencing. Now, that's not rocket science. We know that this is obviously the purpose of criminal court systems as they carry out the due processes of law. Obviously, we get the idea of a court and being in a place where there's going to be a critical opinion that's going to be formed of uh, the... the the defendant. The defendant's the one that's on trial. Isn't that right? The defendant. There's going to be a critical opinion that's formed of that person. There's going to be examination. There's going to be scrutiny. There's going to be evidence. And in the end, if the person is found guilty, there's going to be condemnation and there's going to be sentencing. Now, human beings are experts at being spiritually judgmental. And I don't really have an explanation of this other than just that we're sinful by nature. I mean, we are by nature sinful people. And it's almost as if in the spiritual realm, this becomes natural for us. I think this is one of the reasons that Christians are often termed as hypocritical so easily is because um, we live and, and we operate within a spiritual realm. Now, if, uh, if you're hypocritical in the sports realm or hypocritical in the business realm, or if you're hypocritical in the political realm, you just fit right in. Um, but there's something about spiritual hypocrisy that is, that, that is especially just draws you back whenever you see it because there's, there's a moral component to it. And we seem to become experts like this at carrying people. We see people and we carry them through this due process, this spiritual due process in our mind where we form opinions. So judgment is an attitude. It's a verbal sentencing that we pronounce upon people. And I suppose we've all encountered people that have been this way. I suppose we've probably all been this way at times, and probably we uh, have all encountered people like this. A lost world is full of judgment and full of condemnation. But listen, judgmentalism in the human heart is not a sign that a person is righteous. Rather, it is a sign that a person is sinful and maybe even lost. Jesus gave a command about this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Jesus said, judge not. That is a command. Jesus says, judge not. And he even gives this warning. He says, you better be careful. He says, not only am I telling you not to judge, but if you do judge, you're going to be judged. Now, we don't know if he means by man or if he means by God, possibly both. But Jesus gives this clear command, do not judge. Now, that just makes me, I just breathe a sigh of relief. That just means that anything goes. I can just do whatever I want, and you can't say anything about it. Isn't that right? I can just do whatever I want. You can't come point out my sin. Jesus said, you're not supposed to judge me. You can't talk. You can't judge me. You can't, you can't point out my sin. Whew. Man, I feel good now. I can just go do whatever I want, and none of you can say anything about it because Jesus said, you can't judge me. Is that right? Well, that, that, that can't be right. 
I mean, that, that, can't, that can't possibly be what Jesus means here. That can't possibly mean what the writer of Romans is saying here. I mean, the Bible is clearly filled full of examples where godly people confronted people over their sinful behavior. In fact, we have, we have record of all types of instances where God personally sent people to go confront other people over their sin. The prophets in the Old Testament, man, these guys were savages. I mean, they just, and I mean that, in, I don't mean that in a, I don't, I mean that in a, I'm sorry. They, they were militant. They were militant. They were savage in the way that they were rigorously pointing out sin. Remember this guy named Amos? And go back and read the book of Amos. Amos does a tour of nations. And he says, for three sins of Damascus and for four, for three sins of Syria and for four, for three sins of Israel and for four, for three sins of Judah and for four. I mean, he does a tour of nations and he points out the sins of every nation almost in the known world. And remember Nathan the prophet? Remember Nathan the prophet whenever he went and confronted David with his sin? And you remember what David said? Don't judge me. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's not what he said. Uh, David uh, obviously um, accepted that rebuke from David. Paul confronted Peter in Galatians chapter 1. You remember that? Paul went to Peter and he said, hey, you're not walking in line with the truth. You're not being bold. Go back and read about that. But Peter, remember in Acts chapter 2, Peter confronted the Jews for crucifying Jesus. And speaking of Jesus, Jesus personally spoke harshly to these religious leaders, what you and I would consider to be like pastors. He spoke harshly to them because of their sin, call, even calling them names. He called them snakes. He said they were whitewashed tombs. He called them children of hell, blind fools, blind guides. Listen, if, if, if it's judgmental to simply point out sin, then Jesus was a sinner. And we know that that can't be. You can't really even share the gospel without, without pointing out sin because people can't get saved unless they acknowledge their sin. Just like that Bible verse that we read earlier, if we say we haven't sinned, we deceive ourselves and we don't live according to the truth. So obviously, we know that we're supposed to point out each other's sin. In fact, just like the Bible says Jesus commands us not to judge, the Bible also commands us to point out each other's sin. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault. Just go, go tell him. This is an obvious of pointing out sin when someone has done something that they shouldn't do. We can't grow in holiness if we don't point out each other's sin. We, we can't be disciples. We can't, we can't grow and be the people that we're called to be unless we take a responsibility to go to one another and say, hey, here's a problem that I see in your life, and here's, here's something that maybe you need to think about and pray about. So what does judgment mean? What, what, what does it mean to judge? What is, what is Jesus talking about when he says, do not judge? What is Romans chapter 2 speaking about Whenever it talks about this sinfulness of judgment, well, you know the answer. It's hypocritical judgment. This is, 
This is something that is completely different than pointing out the sin of another or calling out the sin of another. Hypocritical judgment is spelled out clearly. Basically, it says you're judging, you're pointing out sins, you're condemning, but yet at the same time, you're doing the same things. You're practicing the same things but yet you're being harsh with another person for practicing those things. This is hypocritical judgment. So this is seeing the sins of others, but not your own sin. And simultaneously feeling this sense of self-righteousness, this sense of self-justification, this sense of God is with me, this sense of God approves of me. But yet you're practicing the same thing that you're saying that the other person is getting God's disapproval. That is clear hypocrisy. And this, again, hypocrisy is condemning others for their sinful behaviors while practicing the same or similar behaviors. That is what it means to be judgmental. That is what Jesus said don't do when it comes to do not judge. So that verse that Jesus, that I, that I quoted from Matthew chapter 7, I only gave you the first part of it where Jesus said, judge that you be not judged. There's actually a lot more to those verses. In verse 2, it says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. And then, I love this illustration. We use this a lot. It says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? And Jesus uses our word. Jesus actually used this, used this word a lot. He said, You hypocrite. And then he gave a process. He said, look, take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So the first part of the verse, Jesus says, don't judge. The second part of the verse basically leads to pointing out and helping other people with their sin, but making sure that you deal with yours first and see yours clearly first and not looking at other people through a sense of self-righteousness. You see, do not judge doesn't mean anything goes, doesn't mean don't point out sin. Do not judge means don't be a hypocrite. I love Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Again, a command that we have Whenever someone is caught in a transgression, a command that we have for people who are spiritual, not people who are hypocrites, but people who are spiritual to restore them. And even in that case, the command is given, keep watch on yourself. In other words, whenever you start pointing out sin in others, you need to be very, very careful to notice and see and keep guard on your own sin. Because the main danger that we see here in hypocrisy is self-righteousness. This gets to the core of our passage today, where I really want to really help, help see how anti-gospel this is. Hypocritical self-righteousness. Look at the part that these people that are being referenced here, by the way, is uh, uh, Paul is, is, is speaking about the Jews, um, and I don't have time to really 
go into that, but at the end of the passage, he says to the Jew first and then to the Greek, he says it twice, and he talks about not making partiality. Um, but basically, the, these people that, that Paul is saying, hey, be careful, don't be judgmental, don't be hypocritical, he basically says you are supposing on or presuming upon the kindness of God. And the presupposition, the, 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 the supposition that they have is one of self-righteousness. We are okay. That's the, that's the presupposition that they have. The presupposition is that we are okay. In this case, they're Jews. We are okay. And there's nothing wrong with me. Self-righteousness almost always accompanies hypocrisy. Because it speaks condemnation on another person, but supposes that I am okay, even though I might be doing the identical things. Now, here's a test. If you can easily think of people that you consider to be hypocrites, it's probably an indicator that you are one. Ouch. I know that hurts a little bit. But as, as I'm sitting here going through this message, you're sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, I can think of that person. Oh, that person's hypocritical. Yeah, I can think of that person and that person. And you're sitting there going through your mind, and you're thinking of all these people. Oh, yeah, that's a hypocrite right there. Then it's probably an indicator. What's the old adage? It takes one to know one. It's probably an indicator that you, you might be one. You see, as sinful people, we naturally tend to believe that we're innocent and other people are guilty. We naturally presume upon that, well, God's okay with me, but he's not okay with you. I'm going to heaven, you're going to hell. I'm following the Spirit, you're possessed by demons. God's on my side, he's against you. We, we, just, we just sometimes naturally think this way. This is because hypocrisy blinds us. Jesus said it's this log in your eye. He says you can't see clearly because you've, you've got that log in your eye and you, you can't really see others clearly. You can't really see yourself clearly. And I love verse 4. This, this verse, four verse 4 has always captivated my imagination. It says that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. The Lord had been so kind to the Jewish people. He had been so kind to them. He had blessed them. He had preserved them. He had done all types of things for them. And God never intended that that would lead to them having a sense of pride. Oh, we're okay because, of, because we're Jews. And God never intended for that kindness to do anything else except lead them to repentance. And it, it's, it's kind of the same for us. We can think, oh, well, we're Christian. Oh, well, we're Baptist. Oh, well, we're this. Oh, well, we're, we're that. We're okay. God's with us. God's on our side. God never at any time intends for any person to be filled with self-righteousness, but rather God wants to lead us to repentance. That is what, that is what the work of the Holy Spirit does in your life. 
When God is actively at work in your life, he is leading you to a confession, to an acknowledgement, to a clear view and understanding of your sin. Not a clear understanding of other people's sin, but a clear understanding of your own sin and and to an acknowledgement and to a repentance that is need. This is the point of God's activity in our life, is to lead us to that point of repentance. Not not to lead you to a point of feeling how righteous you are or how good you are or how positive God thinks about you. And this is one of the problems that I have with the health and wealth gospel and with, I guess guess you would call the, the Joel Osteen style of ministry. We don't, we can't feel good about ourselves until we first acknowledge and realize, like Isaiah did, that we are absolutely ruined. And this, this is one of the reasons that we worship. We come to worship and we come to church because we need to be confronted with those flaws, those sins, those things that we have in our life. And then through that, after we repent, we get something better than health and wealth. We get something better. We get joy. We get peace. We, we, we get a, 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 a reconciliation with God. We become, we become right with Him. And that's, that's what we're after whenever we worship. We're not, we're, not just, we're not just trying to come and gather and feel good about ourselves. We're, we're trying to come and gather and, and see where, where we need work. And I mean, that's why you go to the hospital, right? You don't go to the hospital with a broken leg just so the doctor said, oh, you're doing great. Get out there and go get on the football field. Oh, you're awesome. Don't worry about that leg. That's, that's not why we would go to the doctor, the hospital, or whatever. It's not why we come to church. We, we want to see those things that are keeping us from an abundant spiritual life that God has called us to. And we want to deal with them. And we want to we show them to each other whenever it's, it's necessary, whenever it's appropriate. We want to certainly be honest with God about these things so that we can... Repent of those things. You see, there's only one perfect judge. There's only one. And God is the only righteous judge. I don't have time to really go into Romans 2, 5 through 9. There's a lot of good stuff here. But this speaks about God's eternal judgment. God is the one true judge. His judgments are always just. They're always right. They're always true. They're never, ever, ever hypocritical. But there's some things here that talks about a person that is, that is hypocritical or just about a person in general that doesn't want to acknowledge sin. Rather than being repentant, the Bible says they have a hard and impenitent, how do you pronounce it? Impenitent? Am I saying that right? I should have I gone, gone on Google pronunciation and figured out how to done that right. It's the opposite of being repentant. He says that basically they're hoarders. We have any hoarders in here? Maybe some things that you like to collect. The Bible says they're hoarding something. That they're hoarding, they're storing up wrath. And there, is the, there, there are the full gamut of words of judgment and wrath that's reserved for a person who says, I'm not going to acknowledge and repent of my sin. Wrath, fury, tribulation, distress, judgment. These are words 
that are used towards people who say, I'm not going to acknowledge my sin, and I'm not going to repent and turn from my sin. And this, this, this is one of the things that happens. But contrary to that, the Bible says that we can have eternal life. And it says, according to works. Please don't get hung up on that. This is not works-based salvation. This is not go do good, be good, and then, and then you can be saved. No, these are, these are works that result from salvation. Uh, see James, the book of James chapter 2, when he talks about faith without works is dead. In other words, there's got to be results to our faith. And that's what this is talking about. And he's talking about eternal life. There's a lifestyle of having a soft heart, of seeing our sin, of acknowledging our sin that we live, that brings the joy that we're looking for, but it calls for repentance. So how do we, how do we respond? When God shows you your sin, or whenever someone in the body of Christ shows you your sin, how are you to respond? Listen, repentance is the cure. Repentance is the cure. Repentance is the, is the response that a lot of people a lot of people miss. A lack of repentance is going to keep a lot of people out of heaven. A lack of repentance is going to keep a lot of people who are religiously educated, who come to church all the time, who know sound doctrine, who grew up. A, a lack of repentance is going to be the thing that's going to bring a lot of religious people out of heaven. There is no salvation without repentance. We, we have to turn from our sin. We can't embrace the cross and the Jesus that died for sin while at the same time continuing to cling to our sin. It's called repentance. And so the first thing that we do is we have an awareness. We say, okay, I see that, I see that I've sinned. Maybe that's where some of you are today. Maybe, maybe some of you are like, okay, I'm in a position now to where I'm just now seeing my sin. Maybe you're not in a relationship with Jesus today. And maybe through this message and maybe through some of the songs that we've sang and maybe through uh, some of the circumstances or situations in your life, you've come to a point, you're like, okay, I see it. I see that I'm wrong. I see that I'm a sinner. I, 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 I see these things in my life. Well, it's not enough just to see it. There's something else that has to happen in your life. There has to be the spirit of conviction that comes upon you. In other words, you can't just say, okay, I'm a sinner, but so are you. That's fine. I'm a sinner, but I mean, so are these, all these people. All these people out here are sinners. And the Bible says, all have sinned. There has to be more than just an acknowledgement. There has to be this sadness, this guilt that we have before God where we say, I'm a sinner, and I don't like it anymore. And I don't want to be that way anymore. And, and a, 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 a sorrowful spirit that is directed towards God, not necessarily towards any human being, but a sorrowful spirit to where it says, I have this weight of conviction that I've sinned against God and I don't like it anymore. And then there has to be confession. Confession is just a verbal acknowledgement of guilt, a verbal acknowledgement that I need Jesus. And often this happens through prayer, where we say, Lord, I see my sin. 
We say, Lord, I acknowledge my sin. God, I am sorry for my sin, and I want it gone. Lord, I acknowledge it. I acknowledge it to you verbally. A lot of times this happens through prayer. Sometimes this happens with each other. Sometimes we verbally acknowledge each other, but we verbally acknowledge our need for Jesus. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you can be saved. And then what happens next is so important. That's the repentance part. Repentance is a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction. Y'all have heard me explain this many times. Repentance says, repentance is, I'm, I'm going in this way. This is the way that I'm thinking. This is the way that my heart is drawn. And these are the actions and the lifestyle that's taken me there. Repentance says, nope, I'm changing my mind. I want this instead. I'm changing my heart. I'm going in this direction now. I'm changing my walk. I'm repenting. I'm going in a different direction. There is no salvation without repentance. You don't find it anywhere in the New Testament. There's not one single person in Scripture that ever got saved without repentance. Remember Peter, whenever he preached in Acts chapter 2, people cried out in conviction and acknowledgement of their sin and in verbal confession. They said, oh, what must we do to be saved? And what did Peter say? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will receive the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance has to be a part of it. How does the Lord want you to change your mind, change your heart, and change your direction today? It could be that you're already a believer, but there's something going on in your life. And you see, repentance is a lifestyle. It's not something that we just do one time. Repentance is something that we have to, it happens over and over and over and over because we, it's almost like we wake up in the morning with these logs in our eyes and we wonder where they, or maybe it's a speck and it's like, I've never seen that before. The Lord shows this to you as you walk through sanctification with God. He shows you these things in your life and it never stops because you never stop being a sinner. And the Lord begins to fine tune you and point those things out to you. Repentance is a lifestyle for a Christian, not just something that we do to get saved. Perhaps that's where you are today. There's something going on in your life and you need repentance. Would you pray today? Pray a prayer of repentance today. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes and let's talk to the Lord about this. Let's talk to the Lord about first our awareness of sin. Has the Lord given you an awareness of sin today? Has he has he made you see something in your life or maybe a major characteristic about your life that you are a sinner, you've never been saved? Or maybe it's a, an area of your life as a believer and the Lord has made you aware of it. Are you feeling a sense of conviction right now? Listen, if, if all you have is awareness and you don't have that sense of conviction, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to move upon you right now. You need to ask the Holy Spirit of God to move upon you and give you that sense of conviction. You can't just see your sin. You have to be sorry over your sin. You have to feel a God-directed guilt over your sin. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's what God does in you. I know that's kind of a crazy prayer, asking the Lord to make you feel sad or feel guilty, but you need this in your life. You need the Holy Spirit to move upon you this way. As you won't change until you, until you feel sad and guilty over it. Confess your sin. If you've never been saved, just ask Jesus to save you. 
Acknowledge your guilt verbally to him in your prayer right now. Acknowledge your need for Jesus, that he on the cross, he has paid for your sin. Just acknowledge it right now. Make a commitment right now to walk in repentance. Rather than have a heart.